There's a universe inside each of us. The Innerverse Podcast is your portal to that infinite realm of ideas. I'm Chance Garten, and I'll be your host as we serve up inspirational sound waves from the brightest minds with the highest vibes. And we keep searching for the empowering perspectives we need to create our greatest masterpiece of all, our lives. Welcome to the one within all back to the innerverse. This recording is coming at you from October 18th, 2019. And while we may be only weeks away from our dear old American tradition of chainsaw guys and haunted houses and celebrating other scary stuff, here in our comfort bubbles in the Western world, many of us fail to comprehend the reality of terrifying trauma that some of our brothers and sisters live with every day. We've been investigating healing modalities for a long time on this show since you can never have too many ways to step into your higher self and experience the feeling of wholeness, but we've never explored the cognitive consequences that combat soldiers come home with after fighting in overseas wars. That's why I'm really grateful today to introduce these guests who are here to tell us about a new documentary they've created that explores the powerful promise of psychedelic plant medicines as panaceas for psychological problems. The film is called From Shock to Awe, and it follows the story of our guest Matt Call, an ex-soldier who found the courage to transform from infantry fighter to spiritual warrior. Along with the concurrent journeys of a few friends and their families, they struggle to adjust to their new missions in civilian life, but they find hope, wholeness, and the will to heal their spiritual wounds, largely thanks to the help of ayahuasca and MDMA-assisted therapy. Matt is very active in the movement to bring natural medicines to wounded veterans and was at one time the Colorado president of the Weed for Warriors project. And he's now the president and CEO of Veterans for Natural Rights, bringing awareness to holistic alternatives to the pharmaceutical apocalypse in America today. Also joining us is the director, editor and camera operator for this incredibly well-produced and emotionally moving work of art, Luke Cote. Luke is known for his award-winning 2010 film, You Don't Like the Truth, Four Days Inside Guantanamo. And we share his silent perspective in this new movie from behind the camera. So I'm excited that he'll be here with us to share what he's learned from the process today. As Matt says in the film, there's a huge repository of trauma in our society that needs to be dealt with. It causes untold damage in people's lives. And it's not just personal damage, it's societal damage, economic damage, and we are suffering as a country. We don't want to go to war because war is wrong. It's up to veterans now to teach the world to transcend violence as a political tool. And that's about as eloquent a statement of truth I've ever heard. And I can't encourage you enough to check out From Shock to Awe because military background or not, we've all got to take a daily look at ourselves through the non-judgmental eyes of love if we want to keep stepping forward in our personal development towards wholeness. The documentary will be available starting October 22nd, right at the cusp of Scorpio, which is a great time to look at the shells we've put around our hearts in an attempt to protect them and to surrender and shed that which no longer serves to do anything other than create a sense of separation from self, source, and everything else. So check the show notes for links to Matt and Luke and for info on where you can catch this movie online and give a heartfelt thanks that we're able to publicly have this kind of conversation about PTSD and psychedelics today with these Crusaders for Cosmic Connection, Matt and Luke, thanks for being here and welcome to the Interverse. Thank you for having me. Thank you. So I really enjoyed the movie and I'm still really jazzed up about it because I watched it today. So it's uh, very fresh in my mind. <laughs> what can you tell us ab about the movie to introduce it? I'll let Luke take that one. 
<laughs> okay. Well, this is a labor of love. This is a, a labor of we believe in what we've done with this film. And uh, I'm personally, I'm, I'm very, very proud of this film and mainly of, uh, of working with Matt and Mike as the main character for this movie because I think they are absolutely remarkable and their testimonies in this film makes this film very powerful because of who they are and what they've been through. So for me, it was an honor. It was an honor to make this film and an honor to meet these guys. Very awesome. I think one of the most revealing elements right at the beginning of the film is how it helps us to understand what PTSD is like for veterans and how it can be so much more extreme than other versions of trauma. And um, I was wondering if, Matt, you could tell us about some of the things that get stuck in the veteran's head of how they had to have certain practices or like mental checks just to feel safe overseas and how that kind of can stick in their minds as habits. Yeah, I, I think um, probably the scene with Mike driving in the car is most illustrative of what we go through when we come back. It's uh, it's incredibly hard to operate in normal environments anymore. Um, all of your normal environments are now um, tinged with the hint of threat. And um, as a result, most veterans who come back from war are extremely hypervigilant. Um, I have cleared my own house many times, uh, <laughs> um, going through it, uh, clearing each room, each closet, each cabinet, of course, finding nothing. I have um, many times been in cars, vehicles of different kinds, and always had my eyes on the sides of the road, see if there's any culverts, any bags of trash laying by the side of the road. Um, any one of those things could be an IED. And we're just so trained and so inured to this, this new threat, this thing that we've been exposed to overseas, that we can't discriminate between uh, well, the, the wartime environment there and the home time environment here. Right. It's like anything that gives you a bit of a stress trigger just reminds you of that extreme stress. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there, it could be anything. Um, one of the, one of my biggest therapies actually, when I was, um, starting to get better was, was driving. Um, I actually gave up driving for a while, um, I was medevaced from theater with a traumatic brain injury, and I had um, some small absence seizures after the fact, and um, that got my um, my license. I, I had to give up my license because I was just uh, dangerous, you know. And um, as a result, you know, when when you're two years free from a seizure, then you can get your license back. But I, I actually didn't even get my license back. I wasn't prepared to drive yet because I knew it was going to be extremely stressful. When I finally did get around to start driving again around 2014, 2015, um, I predictably saw all of the threats on the road. And anytime I would get to my destination, I would arrive in an extremely stressed state. Um, and then the, the process of doing that and then calming myself down, it was sort of like a little bit of exposure therapy. And I was able to get back into the swing of things and understand that all of these things that I saw as dangerous were normal in this environment again. Right. And you really tried it all. You, you mentioned exposure therapy there, but 
Can you talk about the insane shot from the documentary where you show the cabinet overflowing with prescribed pills? Oh, man. Yeah. So that is an impressive list. Uh, I was prescribed over 90 medications over the course of uh, four years. Um, I only found that out by going back through my medical records and writing down each and every time uh, a medication was mentioned in my record. It was extremely illuminating to go back through everything and and see all this stuff that I've been put on over the years because the vast majority of people in America, not just veterans, sort of fork over their health care to their doctor and they say, hey, listen, doc, you just tell me what to do. I'll do it and then I'll get better. Um, But unfortunately, that's not really how mental health works here in the United States. We have a broken system. And our mental health practices don't actually address any of the issues that we're really trying to get at. They all seem to be um, a little bit like symptom management. And um, we don't really want to get to a place where we're just patching up the ship. We want a, a whole hull. So we we don't have any leaks in the first place. Um, In order to do that, you have to heal. You have to heal from the root all the way to the tip. And that's what psychedelics really provide for the modern man. And actually, I mean, these, these are time honored traditions. They've been around for thousands and thousands of years. This is not a a new thing. This, we are returning to the wisdom of the ancients. I love it. I couldn't agree more. I think this is a a huge win that we're even able to have this type of a conversation and a movie like this can go so public without the, the kind of stigma that was there before, not just a stigma on psychedelics, but I think that PTSD has only recently become even somewhat understood. Like, Luke, I have that question for you. Do you know much about the psychological understanding of PTSD and how it's advanced in recent history? Yeah, it's not new at all. It had different names over the years. And I can tell you some of the names. The ancient Greek, they used to call it divine madness. Then during the American Civil War, it was called soldier's heart. And then the First World War, it was called shell shock. And then at the Second World War, it was combat fatigue. And then the Vietnam War, we started to call it PTSD. So it's been there ever, forever. But for myself, I first heard about it, you know, a little bit after the Vietnam War. And I remember I have a friend, he's been to the Vietnam War, and he was telling me this story like 20 years after he came back. He was telling me the story that he was walking on the street, you know, in, uh, in Manhattan, and fireworks started. And he didn't know there was fireworks, so he went flat on the sidewalk. And, you know, covering his head because he was sure it was an attack. And that was 15, 20 years later after the Vietnam War. So when he told me the story, I was like, I was very stunned. And I heard after that, that most people, a lot of vets with PTSD, they experienced this. In fact, a lot of them, they have a, a, a call line where they call each other to say, oh, there will be firework tonight. So be careful. So they tell each other to help it, help, help themselves. And. I made also another film on PTSD back in 2004 with Canadian veterans. And then I, I, I got to learn so much more about, about PTSD. And one of the things that I used to do, and I did that too, again, with, with this film, one of the things, because I interviewed hundreds of, uh, hundreds of veterans, you know, from 
all kind of a war. The second, the Korean wars, the Vietnam and the, the recent wars. And I would do one thing before I would give them a meeting in a restaurant or a public place. And I would arrive before them, make sure that it would be there before. And I would sit in the corner of the room facing the entire restaurant or the, or the room that we were in. And I knew within a minute that they would come and sit, they would ask to change chairs, change space, because they needed, they needed to have that exit. They needed to see exactly the room so that if anything happened, they knew where to go. The exit is there. And then I knew, I knew that they were real. They were really, you know, suffering from, uh, from this terrible, terrible disease, PTSD. So, of course, you know, all the symptoms that you see in the movie and from Jacques Truant, I've seen it. I heard it so many times from all of them because it's, it's about the same thing, you know. It's just like, and one day I had one guy that was in Phoenix during the research for this film. And we had a group of 50 veterans with us. And there was this veteran from Vietnam, the Vietnam War. And he was so embarrassed. And he, he raised his hand and he says, I just want to say one thing. For the first time last night, I smoked a joint, and after like 40 years, I had my first great night of sleep where I didn't have nightmares and I was able to sleep. So this is the kind of stuff that, uh, you know, that we're dealing with today. Right. And I think this is kind of a good segue to look at how for veterans, especially being in this uh I mean, I loved how you gave it so many different terms throughout history for the same thing. I think that's really interesting. I've never thought about that. It's really uh, been known for a long time. But as far as the psychological healing elements, that's kind of what I th think is really advancing a lot recently. But what what ends up happening for a lot of uh, veterans who've come home is they either get attracted to some kind of harmful street drugs or they can't adjust and they redeploy or worst of all, the suicide rate is through the roof. So, Matt, I wanted to ask you, why do soldiers redeploy? Why do they feel like they can't just stay at home? Oh, <laughs> because uh, when you're deployed, that's now the new normal. That's what your nervous system is really used to and what it's geared for. So you're constantly looking for threats in your environment. Well, it's better to be in a place where there's a lot of threats, where those behaviors are useful to you than to be here at home, constantly looking for threats, constantly being a disruption to your family, to your friends, to your neighbors. Sometimes um, I had a friend when I was still in the service. He actually um, he got arrested by the MPs because um, he was in his front yard um, he had a rug that he drugged out there from the foyer and he was firing a pistol in the air saying, this is my prayer rug. And, um, it's, uh, it, it's, it's tough to operate in a normal environment when you are so completely unhinged by, uh, the thoughts, the intrusive thoughts, the constant hypervigilance and, uh, the looking for threats any and everywhere you can see. It's much better to be in a situation where occasionally you're right about that and you have the chance to actually engage and destroy the threat. Man, I, that makes sense. But it's uh, it must be a hard place to be in. And it was really demonstrated well in the film how it wasn't just the soldier who was traumatized, but the stuck energy that kept him in that hypervigilant state and the disconnected state 
was really affecting the friends and family too. Like it ripples out. We think that there's only so many veterans and for whatever reason, this hasn't become an, a critical mass issue in public awareness to make these changes in uh, the laws around these type of therapies uh, overall. So I think that's it's odd because there's so many people that are affected that ripple out from those individuals um, themselves. They even have a term for it these days. They uh, they call it secondary PTSD. When you've watched a loved one struggle and go through suicidal um, spurts for years and years and years, you never know when you're going to wake up and find them dead or not breathing or have to call an ambulance for them or um, if they've hung themselves in their closet or uh, they're playing with the gun that day and they just get a little loosey-goosey with it. Um, it's, uh, it's terrifying to be around somebody who is that unhinged. And um, unfortunately, I, I, I bear a lot of guilt for this. Um, I, I put my family through hell. I had two suicide attempts. And um, I know I've harmed the mental health of my family. And I, I hurt their trust, too, honestly. And um, I just, I, I'll do anything in my power to try to regain it. And um, psychedelics are, are phenomenal for letting people into the deepest recesses where they can get at the roots and rip it all up. I, I like that. It's a good segue to talk about the act of will that comes with the use of the plant medicine. Yeah, Jess, I, I just wanted to, to make a point too. You know, PTSD, we, we don't only refer to veterans suffering from PTSD. You know, the world is suffering from PTSD. A lot of civilian, it comes from all different, all different things. People being raped, abused sexually, uh, you know, violence. There's so many things. And a lot of people are suffering from PTSD and they've never been to war. So that's the reality of today too. You know, so in fact, there are more people suffering from PTSD than there are veterans suffering from PTSD. You know, some countries are almost all PTSD. You know, it's like a, a country like Israel. A lot of people are PTSD and it's not that they all went to war. Just the, the feeling of being attacked, the insecurity, what you're witnessing, it all triggers a lot of, uh, a, a, a lot of that problem with PTSD. So... Everybody is. Uh, everybody can be touched with PTSD. Not only the veterans, but we choose to talk mainly about the veterans in this film. But we know it's so much larger than that. I like to say that um, a lot of, uh, of course, veterans have been to war. But I think that a lot of people in general have a war in their own hearts, and whether that comes from the neighborhood they grew up in or the household they grew up in or the people that were out around them when they were young. Um, there are so many different causes and I was guilty of the worst kind of uh, prejudice when I got back from, uh, war. I, I thought to myself, Hey, well, you weren't on the front line, kicking down doors, blowing stuff up and killing people. So what, what right do you have to have PTSD? And then I started talking to some of these civilians who were like, you know what? I, I didn't go in, through anything like what you went through. Um, I can't even imagine what you've been through. But here, let me tell you about what happened to me. And they would tell me their story and it would break my heart. And I would not even be able to wrap my brain around what they had been through. 
And then it occurred to me, wow, you know, there are so many different flavors and varieties of this beast that you can't, you can't put it in all in one little tiny box and say, Oh, this is, this is uh, all because of war. PTSD is not from war. It's not even primarily from war. It's the vast majority is in the civilian population. Man, that's so true. I mean, it could also just come from watching too much cable news. I think (laughs) if you were a sensitive (laughs) person (laughs) these days, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the the culture is pretty brutal in a lot of ways. Even the feeling that you're not good enough in comparison to other people, if you hold on to that for too long, that's like being at war with yourself in your own heart, like you said. Yeah, the number one cause of of PTSD in America, I think, is uh, losing a loved one, Um, either watching them die from cancer or car accidents or something like that. Losing a loved one often kicks off PTSD for a lot of people. Yeah. And life isn't always merciful in that sense. Like a lot of people will lose multiple friends and family members in a disproportionate amount all at once. And then other people might go years without even having to confront that. But ultimately, the culture doesn't handle death very well at large. And there's definitely evidence out there that psilocybin and other types of plant medicines can help with the acceptance of our life and death truth as human beings, which is pretty cool. But I wanted to talk more about ayahuasca. I think a lot of our listeners have got to have at least heard of it by now. It's gotten quite a lot of word and buzz about it in the last couple of years, especially. But we talked about creating healing spaces with the guests we had last week. And I think that the movie shows what the healing space is like really well. But I wanted to talk about like, what it is and the ceremonial use of it and why it's important to have, have the type of structure or something like it as the experience you guys went through in the movie. Well, I think that um, a lot of these spiritual traditions are sort of a way to build an intrinsic trust in the environment and the system. Um, Normally, you know, uh, people have to develop trust with whatever practitioner they're working with over a period of time. Like if it's, if I'm going to a psychologist or something, I can go and I can visit that psychologist and I can pretty much instantly know if we're going to be able to talk, really talk. And um, that personal connection, you know, like uh, having to actually take the temperature on somebody, but you don't really have that walking into a spiritual environment. So um, you have to kind of rely on the, the trappings of the spiritual um, practice. And um, I think that there is a lot of value in developing um, symbology and uh, ritual and um, a mind state beforehand. Um, a, a one of the most valuable things I've found in my own personal practice is just the simple, simple act of reverence and giving thanks, um, actually being grateful, waking up and, and saying, wow, I get to do this one more time instead of I have to do this one more time. But the, uh, the, the religious aspects of the ceremony are certainly uh, they're there to enhance and a hold sacred, whatever happens there. 
And the other thing that is so important, and I'm sure you'll agree, Matt, is when you embark in a journey like this, it's really a spiritual journey because you go inside. But you, when you embark in this, it's, it's so important to have an intention for yourself. What do you want? What do you want from this journey? And you put out your intention to the group, to yourself. And then after the journey, you can talk about it. And maybe it didn't manifest itself during that specific journey. But it's really, really important to have that, that moment that you go inside and you say, hey, this is what I want with this spiritual journey. And at the end, of course, being, being able to share it with the group, that's really important. Because... We all know ayahuasca is not, is not a fun trip. You know, it is not, you don't do this for fun. It's really, it's tough. It's tough. I've done it me, myself a few times. It's, it, it's really because you want to journey on the spiritual path and you want to know yourself better and you want to deal with some issues. So, and the group, the group there, I think it's a big help for that process too. I met recently this, this woman, uh, Dr. Liana Standish, who's doing the first FDA, FDA approved research on ayahuasca. And she was telling me that she, in, in a lot of uh, the experiences that she read, that she saw, the, the energy of the group, were, there is incredible energy. That's why it's done in a group and a lot of the time in a circle. She says the energy of the group stays there for another 20 minutes after everybody leaves. You know, this is something that they research and they can tell. So, you know, just that, that ceremony is, is so important. You know, of course, you can have different things if it's part of a Santo Daime church or if just like a, 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 an American church that has, you know, the benefit of using the ayahuasca as a sacrament, like the Soul Quest in, in Orlando where Matt and Mike did it. It's the same, though. It's the same. You have to feel that this is a sacrament that you're taking and you're embarking on a very, uh, a very nice spiritual journey. It can be tough, but it can be so enlightening at the same time. It is sacred. It's much more than simply a psychological therapy. This is intrinsically spiritual and it has to be treated with reverence that it deserves. It's like spiritual surgery. <laughs> it is. Oh, you bet. You bet. And sometimes it hurts. It really hurts sometimes. It's just like, oh my God. And you never know what to expect from one journey to the other. But Mother Ayahuasca is giving you what you need to. So that's how you have to see it too. It definitely seems that way in the film that you can see the extreme highs and lows um, oscillating for the participants. But then by the end, they've really balanced out like they, they still experience the highs and the lows. But their reaction to it is more it's not detached. It's just more um, accepting, I guess. And I think that's one of the coolest parts about it. But also, I love how the, the group seems to have a psychic connection to one another like one person's thoughts or little mutterings will connect to something that happens next across the space, like a sound that someone else makes. <laughs> it's very, it's very bizarre. The psychic energy connection that occurs there, but, uh, and everyone's encouraging each other when they need it and a hand on the shoulder. And it's, it's really beautiful and emotionally powerful to watch. One of the coolest parts though, I thought was uh, the scene involving the jepe which is like a tobacco snuff that they blow into your nostril really hard. I actually got to try it for the first time early this year. And I had an awesome like letting go of some baggage moment and a breakthrough with it. 
I was wondering if either of you guys tried it and what do you think, what do you think about it? Like as an, a symbol of the will and the intent to let go of the things. I think, uh, yeah, we, we both tried, uh, Ape that, that weekend, um, Mike tried it the first night and, um, I tried it on subsequent ceremonies. Um, I think all three, um, the, uh, there's a, a, a really, gosh, on my fourth ceremony, I think there was this really intense moment where he blew it up the first notch nostril and I started tensing up and he blew it up the second nostril and then I just dug my hands into the ground and started ripping up roots and was just like, ah, and, um, eventually, um, of course it all came up and that's what triggered, um, the purging. And, um, and after that, I, I just, I let so much go more than I think I can even put into words. It was the most intense feeling of release um, grounding and acceptance that I think I've ever felt. Yeah. I can only imagine what that'd be like in conjunction with, uh, the ayahuasca. Yeah, it, it really, um, it, it enhances and, um, uh, encourages the purge response. Uh, I think for a lot of people, I, I had a really big problem with resistance. My, my whole weekend there, I was resisting the purge. It like bypasses that ego resistance to do the hepe. It's like a willpower infusion. It's as I don't know. It seems like that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, um, it, it can, it can let people break through that moment of resistance and suddenly move into an entirely new space uh, where you can let go and ultimately forgive. And, and I think that forgive and accept was, was really what I got from, from the weekend. Um, Luke caught it on camera right there at the very beginning. Um, when we were going into the ayahuasca ceremony, I, I held the cup up. And, um, when I held the cup up, I said, forgive yourself. And, um, that is exactly what I got. That was my intention for the weekend. And that was exactly what I got. I was finally allowed to let it go. And, um, (laughs) There was, there was a, a lot of struggle between some parts of me um, and, and a part of me that I, I think I rightly characterized as a demon. And it was a demon I kind of trapped within myself. And I'd been pushing it down and trying to, to keep it bound up within my interior for so long. I didn't realize that all of my struggle was a result of this demon trying to leave. And I wasn't, I wasn't letting him go. I wouldn't let it go. And I actually, I, when I realized that I had taken this demon and I'd shoved it deep down inside me and not let it go, I, first of all, had to apologize to myself for what I'd done to myself. But then I realized, my God, what did you do to this poor demon? And then I had to apologize to the demon and it forgave me. And it said, all you have to do is just let me go. And I said, it's not that easy. And he said, it is try it. And I did. And that was the moment you saw me stand up and raise my hands to the heavens. Man, I was like cheering during parts of the movie where you guys were having these breakthroughs. So to hear you describe it in more depth like that is awesome, especially because I have 
I've talked about the concept of demons before on the show in like a secular sense as the even the Greek etymology of the word daimon has to do with like a divided man, die meaning two and mon being like related to man. So whenever we're talking about demons being like we're, what we're really doing is punishing ourselves when we repress that demon. It's like yeah. you are keeping it as the form that it is by trying to punish it and put it in prison inside of yourself. And letting it go is also similar to just letting it dissolve and return its energy to the rest of you and no longer be in the shape of a demon. Exactly. And and in a lot of ways, that's what these ayahuascaros say. Every ayahuascaro that I've met who is worth his salt has said, I don't do anything. Um, the medicine does everything. All I do is direct the energy that gets purged into the ground, back to the earth where it belongs. That's, it. That's exactly it. That was my experience through the purging. That's why it's difficult too. The purging, that's part of it. You know, that's part of the ayahuasca and the ayahuasca ceremony. And I remember one of the dreams that I took for eight hours, I purge. Eight hours snakes and dragons and fires and it was just coming out i was so exhausted i was the that was the most difficult experience i ever had in my life you know one one journey was entire the entire journey was that i guess i had a lot of demons to get rid of but it was just uh, but i felt so great after that it was absolutely like a liberation for sure and like mike said also in the movie when at one point he's purging and he's purging and he said i feel that uh, the last hatred that i was keeping inside just came out you know and i feel so much better and so much freer and that that that's it too you know and i just want to add one more little thing too you know we were talking uh, about the rape but you know the music also is really important in the ceremony because at one point your your brain or your mind just get to some, something with the music that triggers something inside and changes your experience too. So for me, the the use of the music being in the Santo Daime or uh, in, in the church in America is um, is very very powerful too as an element to the ceremony. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Have you experienced that, Matt, with the music? Yeah, the the music is is a huge portion of what happens during an ayahuasca ceremony and, and a lot of the songs that especially the, the Shipibo um, tribesmen in Peru that they sing, they are sort of a songs that the spirits have given to them. Um, at least that's the story that, that we get from them. They, they say the spirits told them the, the Icaros, the Icaros are the songs and um, they sing these Icaros and it, it does have a very, palpable and tangible effect on what is happening with each and every person in that ceremony. I was in a, um, a ceremony in Peru and there's a very, very gravelly voiced shaman. And every time this man would speak and chant and sing, I would immediately start purging. It was like clockwork. It, it, all of the different ceremonies, there are many different types. There's the Colombian Taitas, there's um, uh, Shipibo Peruvian shamans, there's uh, Brazilian Santo Daime. Uh, there's so many different traditions and each one really brings its own flavor and elements to the table. And each one has its own value all, all unto itself. Man, it's got my mind going in so many places. Just thinking about what 
could be going on on like the spiritual realm from the vibration of the Icaros and that kind of music. What I also think is cool is the film demonstrates how the stuck energy in the person's consciousness has a correlation to something in their body that is related to the trauma. Like um, Mike had some energy coming. He had this vibration coming out of his trigger hand and it was like all this stuck energy of uh, the, the, person he was when he was pulling the trigger was vibrating out and leaving. And I think that's really cool. Have you seen any other type of evidence for like trauma in the body? I do think that the body actually converts the energy from like musculature, tense energy into something physical that is coming out when you're puking. 100%. Absolutely. Um, there is, there's actually a book out there called the body keeps the score. And it's a book about trauma and PTSD and how it affects your, your psyche and your body too. And, and the, the link between the two, uh, Western science has long split the mind and the body, but most other traditions understand that it's one system. It's just two aspects of the same system. So there is no separation between mind and body. You, they're, they're, they're together. And anything that affects the mind also affects the body. Anything that affects the body also affects the mind. There are a lot of people who have trauma who, um, I, I, I know a guy with, um, Crohn's disease that can trace his Crohn's, which is an autoimmune disorder. It's by and large with the Western world would cause a physical ailment they, they, they would call it that. And, um, this can be traced to a single incident in his youth where he almost drowned in a lake. And suddenly after that moment, he had Crohn's and, and he actually blames it on the fact that maybe he swallowed some bad lake water or something like that. But truthfully, it's the spiritual consequences. It's a spiritual scar of that, of that event that has caused him to have Crohn's over the years ever since then. Um, I, I think this is a remarkably rampant problem in our society today, and it, it manifests itself largely in autoimmune disorders. It is true for ayahuasca, and it's also true for yoga, yoga and meditation. In yoga, the energy that we're talking about is called shakti. And that shakti, you know, sometimes when you had a chance to have your kundalini awaken, you know, that shakti will travel in your body and creates all kinds of twists. And, you know, it could be your neck, it could be your head. You're going uh, to go into a yoga position without thinking about it. And this is the energy working in your body, you know, for the physical and also for your mind. And it exists in all, all these traditions. Except, you know, except we, we have a lot of experts who've been talking about it that we have not in the film, but on our website from shocktoa.com. And these guys, they talk about yoga and me yoga meditation and ayahuasca. And they just say yoga meditation. It's just a little bit more work, you know, and it takes years sometimes to, to, to achieve this. And then at one point with ayahuasca, you know, it's, it's a fast track. That's for sure, for that kind of experience. And yes, we are related. Mind, mind, spirit, and body, absolutely. And you experience it. A lot of people I know experience it in yoga and meditation too. Yeah, I have to agree. And lots of past guests on the show would say the same thing. And another 
common topic is that the spiritual wound that everyone has in some form is also when you flip the tables and find gratitude in all things in your life, that wound actually is like the thing that becomes also your greatest strength in a way, or what it is you're here to help the world heal from. And Matt, we got definitely, we got a sense of your spiritual wounding in the film, but I was wondering, Luke, what your personal um, connection to that concept is Has has your personal struggle in whatever form it's had in your life been the driving force to making these kind of films? Yeah, I have to say the driving force, along with Janine, who is the, the co-director on this film, and uh, Janine Sagert, wonderful human being. And uh, we met 40 years ago, Janine and I. We met in an ashram, you know, uh, with an Indian guru. And uh, we've been on this path for 40 years. And we were lucky enough to, uh, to have what we call in Sanskrit, Shaktipat, both of us. And Shaktipat is the awakening of the Kundalini where the energy goes, flows through your entire body and explode and, and explode in your mind. And it's a life changer. It was the same thing. You know, it, for me, that was the big, big transformation in my life. Because from one day to the other, you know, having your Kundalini open, it changed everything. I was not the same man right after that meditation. I was different. Everything, everything was different after that. It was a, a life transformation. And it was the same for Janine. Janine and I, we experienced, you know, all kind of medicine, but this was the trigger for us, you know, and that was 40 years ago. And so I, I was always interested in all of this. And the first time I, I, uh, the first time I drank ayahuasca, it was in 76 and I didn't know, have no idea. And it was not for a spiritual journey. I just heard that this, this shaman in the deep in the jungle in Ecuador was having something that you can trip. And I walked for like 15 days to go to the, to meet the shaman and nothing happened. So, but after that, 20 years later, I was in Brazil and I experienced ayahuasca for the second time. But then I knew that was a spiritual journey that I was embarking on. And that made all the difference in the world too. So I experienced it at that moment. And it was, again, that 20 years later was such a powerful experience for me. Uh, you know, absolutely. And since then, I've been making that kind of film. You know, for me, for me, talking about human rights, talking about transformation, you know, the spirit of, of, the, of the, the human race, that's what interests me. And that's why I made this film. And uh, because the first film I did on, uh, on PTSD and the veterans, there was no hope. There was nothing. It was just like these guys, they were experiencing this. And as soon as they were diagnosed with PTSD, the armed force would kick them out and say, no, you're no good anymore. And then these guys would end up in their basement, you know, drinking themselves to, to death or isolating themselves so that they wouldn't see anybody. They wouldn't talk. They were afraid. So, and, but that film didn't have any, any outcome. And when I heard about all the studies that was doing, that was doing uh, maps, you know, I said, listen, this is something to explore again. And I'm, I'm so happy that we went on that path with uh, Mike and, uh, and Matt and to explore this uh, even deeper, you know, with that experience with uh, ayahuasca and also with MDMA-assisted MDMA therapy. So it's a, big, it's a big life changer, that's for sure. I am deeply grateful to you, Luke, for going on this journey with me and Mike, too. 
man, I'm glad that this happened myself. This movie has been a big eye opener for me just about the to, to give me more empathy for what veterans go through, which I think is important for all of us, especially because when we a lot, you know, many of us see the injustice in wars and it can kind of take away the empathy we feel towards the soldiers fighting in them who are in many ways like uh, receiving just as much damage from uh, it as the countries that are being you know attacked or fought in. And I like that you just talked about this shared Kundalini experience because as Carl Jung, the psychologist said in some of his work, we can't experience relationship without experiencing our shadow. It's like built in because the, our relationship to others, especially of the opposite sex, tends to be like a really direct reflection of our inner soul or the, the anima or the animus, depending on your gender. And in the film, you could really see that dynamic playing out between Michael and Brooke and also between Matt and his wife. And I was wondering, Matt, if you could share with us a little more about how couples mirror each other during their individual healing processes, even if they're separate paths. Oh God, absolutely. Um, as I was in the process of breaking my own egg wide open, I didn't realize I was breaking a bunch of others too. And yeah. um, I really, um, a whole lot of stuff between me and my wife. And I know a lot of stuff between Mike and his own wife all came spilling out after the ayahuasca sessions that we underwent there at soul quest. And, and in the sub subsequent ayahuasca sessions we did after that too, um, it, as we started uncovering the layers of our own onion, our partners started doing the same thing because as we started shedding layers and realizing we didn't need these coats of armor anymore, then they started shedding layers of their own armor too. And we all got very vulnerable with each other, I think. And, and that of course, vulnerability is the key to enhanced intimacy. And I think that these experiences have definitely enhanced both of our relationships with our wives. And, you know, it's just like uh, I can talk also for Mike, who's not here, but, you know, when I was telling you after Shaktipat, you know, the Kundalini awakening, uh, I was a different man the next day. But for a lot of these guys, that's what it is too. Coming back from a weekend of ayahuasca, you go back home and you are a different man. You're not the same that left, you know, the Thursday before. You're different. And it was, it's such a freak out for, for the people who've been taking care of you, for, for the people around you. And I know for Brooke, you know, Mike's wife, it was extremely difficult. Who are you? Well, you know, how come it's, you're so different and you know, the, the caretaker that the other person has been, he said, no, no, I'm fine. What? The relationship changes because you're not the same person and what they used to be with you, it doesn't work anymore. It's not the same. It's not the same way. It's not the same approach. So it's been for Brooke. I know it's been extremely difficult for months. You know, she was struggling uh, over this. And I remember we, we went to film after, like, after five months, and she didn't want to talk to us. She was, con she was still mad at Mike that he has changed so much, even though she could see that it 
was for the for for, for for the best, but still she was in her own trigger, you know, being PTSD herself. So this is there is the the, the therapy they always talk because the, with MDMA is the same thing. The MDMA assisted therapy is the same. Is the integration afterwards is so important because. Again, the people that you're living with, that you're working with, that you are your closest friends, they have to get used to the new Mike or the new Matt or the new Brooke or whoever, you know, because the changes are, are incredible. So not the integration same is not the same person. Exactly. Definitely not the same person as I was. You can see it in your eyes in the film. There's, there's footage of you from not long after you came home and... I mean, I hate to say it because it's so sad, but you you had this like really vacant expression and uh, it, it hurt me to look at, at that. I was like, man, you're there with your family. It should be such a happy moment with your kids. And I could just tell that there was this chasm between yeah. you and them and the, and you can feel the enthusiasm for life and, and love for everything come back into you through, through watching in real time in the ceremonies. And it's like, it, it takes the viewer on a similar journey themselves, in my opinion. Yeah, I think the fact is, is that I was vacant. I was completely empty when I got back. And I just didn't have anything in me to give anyone. Not my kids, not my wife, not the people around me, my friends, family. N- none of it mattered. Nothing mattered anymore. The only thing I wanted to do was check out. I wanted to die. I wanted to die. And it, it was heartbreaking because, you know, I, I went through when I first got back from my first deployment, there was a a small honeymoon period where everything was golden. I was very happy. Everything was great. And then in the quiet moments, the things that I had seen and the things I had done, uh, they started to haunt me and I started getting more and more and more distant because as I started loathing myself more and more and more, I wanted to spare anyone else around me from me. So I, God, I lost so many years. It was so hard for so long. And that's really something I'm still trying to repair today. I, um, I just recently actually, um, my oldest son, and I talk about him in the film quite a bit. My oldest son, he had to see me go through all of this stuff. And he was very young, and I don't think he remembers a lot of it. But I know he remembers enough. And he understands exactly how broken I was. And um, I just never was able to give him any kind of attention or love. or and, And it breaks my damn heart, you know, like thinking about it. Uh, but he, you know, just this year, he's like 12 now and he's in, um, six, well, he was in sixth grade last year and, um, he started acting out and doing some things, searching for attention. And I was like, my God, man, why is he doing these things? Why is he searching for attention? And it just slapped me in the face. Well, it's because he never got any positive attention from you, man. And I had to sit there and, and I had to swallow that and say, my God, what you're right. Yes. I, I haven't given him the attention he deserves. What do I do about that? And the only answer that came to my mind at least was give him your damn attention. 
So I decided to pull him out of school and, and I'm homeschooling him nine to five every, every day. <laughs> we good for you. Yeah. And, um, it's just, uh, it, it, for me, it's a labor of love because I didn't get to do this when I was, when I was younger and he was younger and, and when it really would have mattered. And so now all I got to do is I just got to make up for it right now, just to the degree that I can. Yeah, man. Now is what matters. Yeah. It's so interesting because Mike is doing the same with his two kids. Yes, he is. Yeah. Homeschooling his two kids for the same purpose, for the same reason as, as Matt. So it's fascinating, you know, trying to, to get back the time that you lost, you know, the years that you lost. And, uh, but I tell you too, one anecdote, you know, it was so interesting because, uh, when the film was done, uh, Janine and I, we, uh, we wanted to show it to the two couples before we show it to the world to, to show it to the world. So we had a screening, the, the six of us. And, uh, after the screening, Matt and Mike and all these guys, they look at themselves and say, God, was it me? You know, during the PTSD, because they didn't even remember how fucked up they were, you yeah. know, physically, wow. you know, because it, it, you're absolutely right, Chance. You know, a lot of comments of, of people after seeing the film is it's not just in their words that you see the change. It's, it's in their body, in, in their face, in, you know, the changes you feel it, you see it on the screen, which is amazing because that was one of the big thing we wanted to, to do with this film. We wanted the spectator, the audience to experience it at the same time, to live it with them as their PTSD at the beginning. But then that moment of transformation, we wanted to be there. We just didn't want to have words. We wanted to see it physically so that they go through what they go through and then hear it the way they process it in their head. And then going back five months and 15 months later to see, okay, was it like a nice trip for a weekend and everything is gone or it's lasting? And that's what the film shows. And that's why it took a long time to make this film because of all these steps. But you feel, you see the difference when you watch the film. I think there's no greater testament to the power of ayahuasca and other psychedelics to heal trauma than the fact that before we started this journey, we were completely closed off. We were antisocial. We were agitated, aggressive, annoyed all the time. And after our experiences, we crave connection and we crave unity with our families, with our friends, with the world around us. That is the biggest testament you'll ever get. Man, yeah, that's something worth exploring more, really, how that feeling of love and connection to all things is bestowed by the plant medicine. And once you open that door in your mind or in your heart, I guess, it's you can you can always return to that feeling once you've remembered it, uh, if it's <laughs> if it's happened for you. But with like Mike, for example, you're totally right about the sort of a aggro feel at the beginning of the film. He, he looked like or felt like the kind of person who you'd see it like a heavy metal show and he might, you know, maybe uh, knock you out if you said the wrong thing to him. Yeah. Whereas at the end of the movie, he felt like somebody that I would have met at a music festival who's just like all love and light hippie type guy. Like, and it was over a course of a couple of days. Festival. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> <laughs> it was Absolutely. amazing.
Yeah, Mike. Mike is a beautiful human being, and I, I, I don't know if I, I honestly think it's just we've uncovered this beautiful human being that he is instead of he's become a hu- beautiful human being. Yeah, and he is a hu- beautiful human being, and it just like the layers came off on the outside, and we can just see it now. It's just amazing. Yeah, I love that guy. Shout out, Mike. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, Matt, we can tell the story when the first time we met him because you came at the end of the first meeting we had with him. Yeah. And it was so like, oh my God, He's, poor Mike. He, he was so traumatized. And again, we did the meeting in a restaurant, you know, and I, Janine and I were right before. We sat in the corner and he sat in front of us and then one minute later asked to shift places. He couldn't put two words together. It was like... And by empathy, we just sat there and we said, okay, in our head, in our mind, because we were doing a cast, you know, of, of people that could do this, uh, be the main character of the film. And after five minutes, he couldn't put two words together. And we, we, said, we just said to each other in our mind, okay, we're going to go through the process, but he's not the guy. You know, it's just, it's impossible. And for like an hour, that was that way. Matt came because we were meeting Matt right after that. And Matt came and he could see that Mike was really struggling. And he says, okay, uh, Mike, let's go in the parking lot. I think you need some medicine. And so they <laughs> went. <laughs> you remember that? Yes, man? I do. <laughs> <laughs> so they went to smoke. Me and my friends call that a safety meeting when you go out to the parking lot. <laughs> and that's exactly, that's exactly what we did. You know, we had a little safety meeting out in the parking lot and it was really for the safety of his own psyche and the safety of everybody else in there. It was this for the safety of, of us too. Um, we went and we smoked a little cannabis and we came back inside and he was a different human being after that. That's just like small minute of connection with another veteran, especially there was already this level of trust there because we both been through the, through the same things. And then also sharing of the medicine and coming back inside and he was a completely different individual. And the next day, we because we said to everybody before the first, we're going to do a little clip on, on video. And we had planned to do a little clip with him on video the next day and say, hey, let's go through the process. And we we took him to uh, to this park where he wanted to be. And we did this little video. We had like half an hour. And it was the most profound half an hour. We couldn't believe that was the same guy that we met the, next, the, the day before. He was so astonishing. He was so clear. It was so incredible that right there, it was such a, a, a pure luck that we met our two main characters after interviewing a bunch of them in Phoenix, in New York, all over the place, that we found the, our two main characters in the same location, you know, Colorado Springs. So it was, it was a blessing for us. It was fantastic. So Matt was, Matt was easy. You know, he, he, he could talk, he has a, a perspective on himself and also all his knowledge of the medicine. That was, that was absolutely great. So for us making a film, we want characters that are different, that are complementary. And I think Matt and Mike, they are really com- complementary in their experience and the way to express their experience. So for us, it was like fabulous. It was just like, we, we, we felt that we, we hit the jackpot with both of them. So. I think Mike is my heart. Like he expresses what my heart feels. And, and that, that's, I guess maybe, maybe I, I have an understanding of a lot of things and I've been on this, this path for a while. I've explored a lot of different things, but um, Mike is the unvarnished heart. 
He really is. I feel that he he almost had like a shamanic awakening in the film. He the way that he became a caretaker for the other members of the circle so quickly after having his breakthroughs. It was it was cool. Well, guys, we're, we're about to the end. Do you want to let us know again how we can find the, the movie online? And if there's anything else you'd want to uh, leave us with here at the end of the show, finish up any leftover thought threads? Well, again, I've just repeated October 22nd, starting the four platforms where you can have it on Vimeo, on Google Play, on Amazon and on iTunes. You can you can see it on any of these platforms. And for us, it's great because that's the way that's that's our gift to the world. You know, we want as many people we want to touch as many people as possible. And we know that the film does that job. So now you guys, we invite you to to go and to watch it. And if you have feedback, if you want to write to Matt, to any of us, you're welcome to do it. We respond to people and uh, to comments. And so it's always a pleasure for us because we feel that our baby now starting Tuesday, it's out. It's a grown up. Now it has his own life. So welcome to life. And uh, so that's why we want to share. <laughs> Just, yeah. Matt, you have a conclusion to all of this? Uh, I guess I would just say, forgive yourself for what's happened to you. Forgive yourself for what you've done. Accept yourself for who you are and love yourself for who you will be. Man, that's truer words. Couldn't be spoken, Matt. It's, it's awesome how, how much this process has turned you into like this leader and Luke, without your vision of the film and your participation in the ceremony, on a intentional energetic level, I know you, we wouldn't have been able to see this outcome for ourselves in such a clear and resonating heartfelt way. So thank you guys both for bravely bringing this to the world. And man, it's been a really interesting day for me as I've been diving into this so deeply and I can't wait to get it out to people and show people the movie and, and rewatch it and experience those great emotions as the, the energy starts to flow again inside. So yeah, thanks for the time. This has been awesome. Can't wait and look forward to hearing more of your triumphs in this, uh, this spiritual battle to reclaim our consciousness potential, which is infinite. Thank you so much, Chance. Thank you for everything. Thank you for having us. Yeah, absolutely. We really appreciate it. Much love to you, to you all. Thank you guys for listening. Science and spirituality, though differing in their approaches, share the same hint. The pyramid of humanity, 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 humanity. sticking around all the way to the end of this episode and of course a really big thanks to luke and matt for coming on and telling us all about their new movie which was really really good 
I was lucky enough to get to screen it uh, before it was made available for streaming. But I think that having seen it now, it's highly worth paying the rental fee to watch it or even buying it. I'm going to buy it so that I can show it to multiple people easily. And I think that it's a good move. It's a really good movie. <laughs> good move to buy this good movie. Uh, th- you'll really get the emotional depth of their transformation out of watching the film in a right brain and very easily empathized way. And I think a lot of people are going to have their eyes opened by this movie because we hear about the, I mean, this is a big topic in podcasting over the last few years, ayahuasca and psychedelics and plant-based medicine, psychological healing. And I think, whew, it's a really com- complicated topic because for one, there's a, of course an issue with like any time that we need to go searching outside of ourselves for what we think we need to be complete and getting into using tools like medicine. You have to have the really right perspective, which luckily this type of medicine can help you have, which is that the shift has to happen inside. The medicine isn't doing anything other than showing you what you need to change inside. (laughs) So this movie does demonstrate that really well. I think that's what makes it so authentic. It shows these moments of will where the characters who are real people actually decide, okay, this is the... (laughs) I'm letting go, I'm letting this demon free and not free like to go run amok, but free to reintegrate and to no longer have to be in this sense of extreme separation and fear of everything, uh, fear of the self. Anyway, I hope you do check it out or at the very least you let people know that might have these type of issues that this movie is available to watch because it could give them some hope, some inspiration. I mean. Anybody that's dealing with heavy-duty PTSD, veteran or not, could, I think, see inspiration in watching the transformations in Shock to Awe. So, from Shock to Awe. So, yeah, from shocktoawe.com is where you're going to go find it on YouTube, Vimeo, um, iTunes, you know, the works. It's it's everywhere. Amazon, that's the fourth one. So, go get on that. And also... (laughs) If you didn't stick around for the plus extension because you weren't a member, let me tell you all about that. I imagine there's probably some new people here that haven't checked out Interverse before. So first, let me thank you guys for still being here in the outro. And I hope you liked my conversation with these two extremely awesome guys. But if you did, then you got to know there's a second hour that you can get for only five bucks a month. You know, you can subscribe. And even uh, if you only want to be on for a month and check out a few episodes, don't don't worry about it. Like, go for that. It's there for you, though. Subscribe five bucks a month on Patreon and you get the second hour of this episode and dozens and dozens of other episodes that we've covered all kinds of topics in the past from, you know, we've spoken to healers. We've spoken to painters. We've spoken to people in the festival scene. We've spoken to podcasters and YouTube creators and authors and everywhere we go, (laughs) there's some touch of this philosophy of the infinite potential of the self and the opening of the doors of perception to imagination, letting imagination be our primary foundational tool and guide. I feel like we touched this in every episode in some capacity. In this episode, we definitely did. And 
Well, in the second hour, I guess I'll just tell you about the second hour. I, that's something I'm supposed to do, right? Okay. First, we talked about the daily balancing work to be done after the healing process occurs, the psychic bonding and commun- communication through shared medicine journeys, the future of MDMA-assisted PTSD therapy, the shifting of public perception of psychedelics, varieties of ayahuasca ceremony centers in North and South America, how unhealed trauma freezes a person's development to the level they were at when it occurs, Matt's work getting mushrooms decriminalized, psilocybin mushrooms, and providing free cannabis for veterans, and why Shock to Oz producers decided to focus on individual transformations instead of showing the science in the movie. So those are just a few of the things that we got into in the second hour. I'll go ahead and address that last thing, actually. What they ended up saying, and they expanded on it more, was that they actually do have the science on their website, and they did interviews with scientists about the benefits of these plant medicines and what might actually be going on on a neurological, biological level. So it's all there, but as to why they didn't put it in the movie, it's because they wanted to focus on this quest of the individual and their transformation and I like that they did that. I think it made it a lot more of a connective feeling situation. Like you can connect to their experience in a really cool, non-judgmental way. Well, that's about it for the plus extension. I mean, there was an hour. So obviously me saying a few sentences doesn't really cover it all. I (laughs) hope you check it out. It's the only way you can support the uh, podcast in any way financially, other than, I guess, like sending me a donation or buying a shirt off the website. That's kind of a thing. You could do that. If you want to see more types of merch, let me know. I can get stuff produced. I just haven't set up a lot of uh, merch options for Interverse. And I'm curious, what would you want? Like a mouse pad, a mug? Let me know. (laughs) Posters? I have lots of posters. Okay, so you can drop me a line at chance at interversepodcast.com. Let me know guests you'd like to see on the show. Just say hi. You can connect on social media on Instagram at Interverse Podcast, Facebook, Interverse Podcast, Twitter, Interverse underscore pod. And I'm on all kinds of alternative social media too, like Minds and Steemit. Although my hope in those platforms isn't super strong. The only one I have much hope for, even though it's got a smaller uh, user base, is Eureka.org. You can hit me up on there as well. That's a U-R-E-K-A dot org. At least these smaller alternative social media platforms give you free speech. Don't shadow ban you like I am on Facebook. Don't share my podcast on Facebook if you don't want to be shadow banned. (laughs) Just kidding. You can probably safely share it. Hope you do. I'd love to get this episode out to as many people as possible. I think that it's important, important stuff, even if it's common in the podcast circuit these days to talk about ayahuasca. This documentary is definitely an uncommonly good one, and uh, it's probably one of my favorite ones about psychedelic healing I've ever seen. So that's pretty good praise. And uh, again, Luke and Matt, it was great talking to you guys. Hope that your quest to continue healing yourself and healing the world goes really well. Oh, and one last thing. If you have some opportunity to do something like ayahuasca or MDMA, and you're on medicine already that is prescribed to you by you know a psychiatrist or doctor you probably shouldn't get off of whatever that is for like a good several weeks or longer you should do some research make sure that whatever you have doesn't interact with what you might want to try 
that's something we talked about a little bit in the plus extension. And I felt kind of morally responsible to put that disclaimer out there and also know that you can do self-healing work with awareness building practices without the need for the break glass in case of emergency solution that psychedelics can be. I mean, I think they're worth doing in some form or another in your life so you can just know what that's like because it opens the door to you being able to attain that state without using them. So hopefully you guys have had your own mystical experiences to draw on and that made this episode seem all the more relevant. I hope you are overall developing those psychic abilities and synchronicity storms into the direction that you want to go for your soul's path in life. And yeah, I hope a lot of you have already started working on your trauma because we're probably all dealing with it. Even non-soldiers, even people that haven't been abused specifically, there's a lot of cultural trauma going around. (laughs) It's like a, it's like a virus, a mind virus. So I'm glad that we're getting to talk about this in the context of doing the real shadow work the real integrating of the archetype instead of just completely demolishing your psyche by becoming a one-dimensional negativity denying, I don't know, foo-foo, new age foo-foo person. (laughs) I don't know what else you'd call it. But that's it for me. It's been an awesome talk. Love having you guys here. Check out Elusive Tuna for the music I'm going to play in this outro with an eye like you're ill elusive tuna i'm gonna link that in the show notes the website for the documentaries in the show notes the links to join patreon and get the plus extensions in the show notes it's all there so have at it and uh have a great week i've got some great content already recorded just got to get to producing it so keep your uh ear to the ground for the next interverse episode because it's gonna be cool I already know because I've already talked through that one. So, all right. Love you guys. And uh, see you next time. <laughs>